You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Well, good morning, everyone. Man, it's great to worship with all of you. It's been a, it's been a few Sundays since we've been here uh, consistently. Natalie and I have been traveling and part of our national conference last Sunday, but it is great to be in Fort Collins. It's great to hear your voices united as one, worshiping together. Of course, I want to uh, welcome everyone on the live stream. We know many of you are tuning in on the live stream wherever you're at this morning. I just want to make sure that you know we're praying for you and we have an expectation and faith that God will move um, in your space as he moves among us as well. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard, and I do want to just start our time by emphasizing the importance of what you just saw, that video from Jay Pathak and our upcoming conference, Sharing Your Faith. Jay has been a mentor of mine. He's been a coach of mine, and now we get the privilege that the national director of Vineyard USA, all 550 or so churches in the United States that call themselves Vineyard, that the president lives just in Denver. So it's easy to bring him up and have him kick off our conference. We're really excited about that. And I just want to emphasize, this is going to be a conference where you can be trained and equipped, empowered, and ultimately released to join God in his work of transforming all things, of course, That means joining him in the sharing of our faith and participating in what we call the Great Commission, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. If you go to votrweekly.org, you'll see in the announcements tabs that you can register today. We have an early bird special. The conference, we're trying to keep it as inexpensive as possible. It's $24 for 36 hours of training and equipping. The ministry time will be fantastic and all ages can come. We do have childcare for fifth grade and under. You can register for that, but middle schoolers, high schoolers, friends that are in our church, out of our church, everyone is invited. I know, um, just from talking with the other churches, every vineyard in Northern Colorado is going to come and participate, and they have a part to play. And we also have invited a number of other churches from Fort Collins. And I love that we kind of have an ecumenical approach to this conference because we all want the same thing, right? We all want our city to be transformed with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of the cross, and how he can set us free. And, you know, listening to that video, I mean, like, there's a small chance there's a small chance that some of you are already like really, really effective at sharing your faith and you lead dozens and dozens and dozens of people into a relationship with Jesus. But my suspicion is that we could all really grow in this because I remember last year we did a series called Amateur Hour where we're all just kind of stumbling our way forward in the kingdom of God and giving it a go, right? And this is an area where many of us feel intimidated, but like Jay said, we kind of all know this is supposed to be part of our life. And so we just want to invite you. We would love to, to participate in that conference with you because uh, at, the, at the bottom of our hearts, we all want the people we know and care about and, and deeply love to have the same kind of transforming relationship with Jesus that we all have. And this conference will help you to do just that. I can't wait. If you can't tell, I'm excited for September conference. 
Well, today we're going to be wrapping up our summer series. Um, if you've been with us all summer long, we've been in the book of Romans. If this is your first time at the Vineyard, uh, this will be a, a great message to come and tune in with us because Paul is kind of wrapping up the book of Romans together. You know, I was, I was kind of reflecting on how every summer we study a book of the Bible together and kind of chart our way through it. And the end of these series always finish, they kind of always coincide with the beginning of school. And it's, it's crazy to think that in, I don't know, like nine or 10 days or something, school's going to start again. And we're pretty excited in Faust House for that. I mean, we're <laughs> like all the kids are pumped to see their friends. Mom and dad are pretty excited about that too. Um, but in honor of a great summer, you know, and just thinking back to how great the summer has been, all the time we've been able to share, I want to remind you of one of my all-time favorite summer movies. It's a childhood classic. The movie Sandlot. The movie Sandlot. You've got Smalls and Yeah, Yeah, and the catcher, Ham Porter, right? Timmy and Tommy, repeat Timmons. And of course, there's the baseball phenom, Benny Rodriguez. And, and if you've seen Sandlot, then you know I can't put a picture up there without talking about Squints and his summer crush and his summer scandal with Wendy Peppercorn, the, the lifeguard, right, where he acted like he was drowning just to get mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. <laughs> it was quite a scene, right? And one of my favorite parts of the movie, though, and the one that applies to us a little bit this morning, is there's a, a moment when the baseball phenom, Benny Rodriguez, is in a dream state, in his room, and Babe Ruth walks through the closet. This is the great Bambino himself, everyone's idol in the movie. And Babe Ruth starts to have a conversation with Benny Rodriguez about greatness, about significance, about not letting fear keep you from doing uh, impactful and, and powerful things in your life. And I will qualify, like in the book or in the movie Sandlot, significant, impactful, and powerful things meant jumping over a fence, rescuing a ball from a giant junkyard dog and bringing it back to safety. So we all have different definitions of significance, right? This is what we're learning. But that's what it meant in Sandlot. They had this great conversation about significance and living a life that's remembered, living a life that people reflect on. And on his way out of the dream, Babe Ruth looks at Benny Rodriguez and he goes, remember kid, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die die. And we all, like this all kind of strikes a chord for us in varying degrees, right? Because we all want to live a life of significance. We all want to leave a wake behind us. We all want to leave some kind of impact in the world around us, the people that we love. We want to do something of actual consequence in our life. We want to live a life of significance. And how do we begin to live a life of significance according to the Bible? I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about this, and so we need to dig into Scripture, and we need to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean for the Bible to teach me about living a life of significance? What does it mean to live a life that's remembered, or even a life that lives on forever? As you dig into Scripture, and as you read from the first page to the last page, you can clearly see that the most important thing you can do to live a life of significance in the kingdom of God is to surrender your life to Jesus to begin living for him as best as you can, even though you'll, you're flawed and you'll make mistakes along the way, to live for him as best as you can every single day. The Bible teaches us that, that much like this book, God has a book. 
It's called the book of life. And when you give your life to Jesus, when you surrender your life to him, your name gets written in God's book of life for eternity. You'll be forever forgiven, forever loved, and forever invited into his presence from that day forward. And if you've never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, then I just want to say, I'm so glad that you're with us here in person or online, because by the end of our service this morning, we're going to give you a chance to respond to the gospel and make a first-time commitment to follow Jesus from this day forward. Every time we gather, leading up to Sunday and when we're here face-to-face, I always wonder how many of us may need to make that decision today. And we'll give you an opportunity to do that in a little bit. Your eternal story, your eternal story, the one that lives on forever, it starts with Jesus. And today, as we finish the book of Romans together, you'll also read about a few other things, a few other things that that help you live a life of significance and one that will be remembered. See, Paul finishes the book of Romans kind of in the same way that he finishes a lot of the books that he wrote for the Bible, by naming names and listing relationships that have had an integral impact on his life. He always closes many of his letters by by saying, you know, say hi to this believer or or, greet this person in the name of the Lord or bless this person because they've blessed me so much. And he starts naming names. Quite honestly, it's kind of like a man crush at the end of all of his chapters where he lists all of these people who he's loved and they have a deep impact on his life. And over the years, right, I, I can't be the only one in this room, but over the years, when it comes to lists of names in the Bible, I tend to read through them really quickly and try to get on to whatever is next. And I think half the time it's because we all struggle with pronouncing their names, right? Like we don't know exactly. I always have to pull out the audio Bible and play it so that I can hear how they're said, right? But I always try to rush on to whatever is next, thinking that these names aren't that important. But we're going to slow down a little bit today. As we approach Romans 16 and as we approach this kind of uh, closing chapter of the book of Romans, we're going to slow down because I want us to ask ourselves, I think it's an important question to ask ourselves, what can these names teach us about how we can live a life of significance? What do these scriptures and what do these passages and what do these names teach us about how to live a life that will be remembered? Inside Romans 16, I think you'll find some inspiring answers, but I think you'll also find some provocative answers. So I'm looking forward to digging into that together. Romans 16, I'm going to read the first seven verses as we begin. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church of Sancria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also, give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinetus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. 
the first seven verses of chapter 16. And Paul goes on and on and on and on. If you read the whole chapter, he lists over 30 people who have played a significant role in his life and ministry. But in these first seven verses, he lists seven people back to back to back to back. And each one has a fascinating story. It starts in verse one with a woman named Phoebe. And in case you didn't hear it, I just want to point out that Phoebe is indeed a woman listed in verse one. That might surprise some of you because right after it, it says that she was a deacon, a female deacon that Paul writes about. Now this is fascinating for so many theological reasons. Deacon means servant and leader, minister, teacher, and overseer of the body of Christ. And you probably can't do that without teaching and speaking in church. Paul says, help her in whatever she needs because she has been so helpful to so many, especially to me. And I love that Paul opens with a woman and that he explicitly calls her a deacon. See, sometimes we have female pastors at our church and sometimes people like to argue with me about the fact that we have female pastors at the vineyard and passages like this one, they at least make you wrestle with all the other New Testament passages. They at least should give you pause and they should at least give you a, a, a bit of concern as you try to interpret scripture to say, well, maybe there's things I don't know. Maybe it's not as either or as I think. Maybe it, there's a bit more both and, and and tension in the kingdom. If Paul can call her a deacon, then I wonder what that means for my theology. And in case you're like really nerdy like I am and you like to argue as much as I do, because I like both of those, I like to be nerdy and I like to argue. It's a, it's a pretty good duo, I, I like to think. You might think, well, Jeff, there's something probably hidden in the word deacon, right? Like it's probably lost in translation. But the original manuscripts like deacon probably means something else, right? Well, I, I, I did the work for you. Shockingly, in this text, you want to know what deacon means? Deacon. <laughs> it means deacon. Deacon means deacon. In fact, this word deacon, it's the same exact word that Paul uses to define himself in Colossians 1.25 when he describes his calling to the church in Coloss. He says, the same way that I am called to be a minister to the church in Coloss, Phoebe is a deacon in her church setting. Same word. Now, Paul's a brilliant theologian, well-versed in language. He knew what he was doing. Most of our systematic theology in the New Testament comes from this man named Paul, and he very specifically chose this word because he wanted it to land on our minds and land on our hearts and impact how we do church together. The same word that he used for himself, he used for Phoebe, the female deacon. Then Paul moves on to Priscilla and Aquila, who you can also read more about in Acts 18. That's where you first meet them. It's a married couple. They co-pastor, and that's no small thing in the early church. Then on to verse seven, you read about this woman named Junia, and Paul says that she is distinguished among the apostles. In fact, when we read all of Romans 16 together, Paul lists nine prominent women back to back to back to back. You've got Phoebe and Priscilla, Mary, Junia, Tryphena, Tryphosa. The list goes on and on and on. And in case I'm losing the guys in the room, don't worry, he lists a bunch of dudes too. They're in there. But it's just important to point out to all the girls and all the women at the Vineyard Church this morning that women were and always will be an important, significant, and vital part to the church, the kingdom of God and the ministry of Jesus. Always. Women always were and women always will be vital to God's mission of transforming all things. We can't ignore these kinds of things. 
Paul chose his words wisely, and Paul named names because these were significant people in his life and in his ministry. When I read chapters like this, if I'm not in the rush forward to whatever is next kind of mood, but if I sit in these scriptures, I not only want to learn and be inspired by these women and the men named too, but one of the things that I find myself often dreaming about and often asking about is a question that kind of goes along the lines of this. If, if Paul is naming names and making lists, am I living the kind of life that would make his list? Am I living the kind of life that Paul would recognize as significant in the kingdom of God? You know, what would I make his list. If Paul was alive today and he was writing a letter to our church, would I make his letter? Would you make his letter? And what would it look like to have our names inscribed in a letter from God through Paul to our church? You know, the Bible talks a lot about significance. The Bible talks a lot about impact. And sometimes in the Christian church, we've shied away from conversations like this. We've shied away uh, from conversations talking about impact and significance. And, and I think part of the reason why we do that is because the world has hijacked what it means to be significant. And they've attached all kinds of things that we know like aren't the best versions of significance, like power and prestige and control and money and all of those things that can lead to a host of other problems. And in fear of having that conversation, we haven't had any conversations. But the Bible has a lot to say about living a life of significance. The Bible has a lot to say about living a life of impact. It's a very biblical question to ask, what defines a significant life? What defines a significant life? The Bible's filled with answers to that question, completely filled. And you'll all be thankful that we're not going to examine all of Scripture to this morning about, about what Genesis to Revelation says about living an impactful life, but we are going to zero in on this one chapter. We are going to look at what Romans 16 can teach us about the dozens of types of ways you can answer that question, what defines a significant life. And if you look at Romans 16, you can summarize this chapter in one short sentence. A life of significance is one that's built on Jesus and strengthened by spiritual friendship. It's a life that's built on Jesus and strengthened by spiritual friend friendship. The richness of your life largely depends on the God you serve and the people around you. The richness of your life depends on the God you serve and the people around you. Is Jesus at the very center of your heart and the very center of your life? And do kingdom relationships, do spiritual friendships inspire you forward? in your journey with God. A personal relationship with Jesus is the only way to start this eternal transformation. And I mentioned it earlier in the message, I'll mention it again now, that if you've never gone all in with Jesus, then we're gonna give you a chance to start that relationship today because it's the most important decision you'll ever make. It's the way you're forgiven and adopted into God's family and given a purpose beyond your own. You receive all kinds of blessing from the Lord when you make that decision. But once you've made that decision, you can see from this scripture that a continued life of significance, a continued life of impact is then played out with the people who surround you. And it doesn't mean that you're only friends with people in this room. I, I would hope not. 
I mean, deeply, truly, I would hope you're not only friends with people in this room. I hope you find community here. But how else is the world supposed to know about the beauty of the message of Jesus Christ unless we are sent out into the world around us? But these relationships, we, we need spiritual friendships. We need kingdom relationships because they, they encourage us. They, they keep us accountable and they inspire us forward in the gospel of Jesus. They help us live a life of eternal impact. Not just temporary day-to-day impact, but eternal impact. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to reread our scripture this morning, just kind of little by little. And as I read it again slowly, I, I just want you to, to prayerfully reflect, to, to have a conversation with God, to think to yourself, what do I see in this scripture and how can I live a life of significance? I'm going to draw out a couple points and I'm going to share them with you but I fully expect that God might be speaking to you in ways that I don't share this morning as well. So listen for his voice. Verse one and two, just gonna kind of break it down little by little. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church at Sancria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Here's our female deacon again, Phoebe. No matter your gender, male, female, I'm inspired by her leadership. I'm inspired by Phoebe because she's helped so many people. She's helped so many people in her life and in her ministry that her name was written in the book. That Paul mentioned her as someone worth blessing and following and hearing from. See, Phoebe and Paul, they had led together. They they had served one another. He received from her, she received from him. They lived a life of such significance together that she's mentioned by name to the entire church in Rome. And I read this and I I, I just think to myself, that's the kind of person that I want to be. That's the kind of person that I want to be. Someone who God recognized as a life of significance. Phoebe's life was significant because of her servant leadership, the way she poured out her life as an offering to God, and the way she was dedicated to growing the kingdom wherever she was. If you look at verse 3, if we continue on, this is how Paul continues. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also, give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Priscilla and Aquila, these these co-pastors, this married couple in the early church. They served alongside Paul. They helped lead the church in Ephesus. They traveled with him and served with him. They reached entire cities together. It says they were co-workers with Paul, risking their lives for him and opening their home for church groups. Again, life is rich when you're surrounded by people like Priscilla and Aquila. And you can also offer a richness to others when you begin to take on a similar ministry to what they did. And if your life has been changed by Jesus and and our church has had anything to do with that along the journey, then I want to encourage you to bring your friends And I say it unapologetically because I just know life is better when you worship with the people you're close with. 
Life is better when you can worship with them, when you can pray with them, when you can lift your voice as one. Life is better when you can be co-workers together and go on mission trips together and serve in kids' ministry together. Life is strengthened and there's a richness added to your relationships when it's built on God and you go about mission together. Their lives were significant and your life can be like Aquila or like Priscilla and Aquila as well because they, they served together. They went on mission together. They had kingdom adventures with one another. And this begins to build a life of significance and one that is remembered. A little bit later in the text, I'm kind of pushing our way through here. If you look again with me at the second part of verse five, it says, greet my dear friend Epinetus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Think about that statement. Every time I've read this passage this week, I've cried. Every time. I think about that statement. Greet my dear friend Epinetus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. I love Epinetus. He's mentioned here and only here. The first person from Asia to become a follower of Christ. What an amazing statement. And being the first can be intimidating. Being the first person to raise your hand and give your life to Christ in church. Being the first person to step out in faith and disclose that you're now a follower of Christ. Being the first can be intimidating, but the first is always significant. Some of you in this room right now or watching online, you can be the first follower of Christ in your family. Some of you can be the first in your friend group, the first at work, the first in your neighborhood, the first on your sports team. And the first, I, although there's intimidation there, it's worth getting over that hump of fear because being the first creates impact for everyone around you. It creates an impact for everyone around you. And if you've already given your life to Christ, then help someone else become the first. Someone introduced Epinetus to Jesus. That could be your calling. That could be your calling to introduce people to Jesus, to find all of the epineticists of northern Colorado. You could help someone be the first in their sphere of influence, help them get their name written in God's book of life. And by the way, if you ever help someone make a decision for Christ, I'm just inviting you to email me. I would love to hear that story. I love hearing stories like that. I got a text this morning from someone who just led a handful of people to Jesus over the week, over the last week. It's such a great way to wake up in the morning. And those emails will, you know, sit between all the other emails that aren't so nice. So those would be really good stories to share. And, and by the way, just as I'm thinking out loud here, if you don't know how to help someone make a decision for Jesus, we've got a really fantastic conference coming up in September. It's called Sharing Your Faith. And you can sign up today. It's only $24 to come, and it's going to be really powerful. It's a little infomercially, but it's like really from the depths of my heart. We would love for you to come. A life of significance. A life of significance has a ripple effect. It grows exponentially when you help others find Jesus. And towards the end of Paul's life, and towards the end of Paul's letter, these were the types of folks that Paul mentioned. And so I want to ask the question again this morning with, with a posture of humility, and, and I hope you can just feel the kindness, because that's really how I'm asking this question. How are you growing your life of significance, biblically, eternally, and according to the kingdom of God? How 
are you growing your life of significance? On the last day of our summer vacation, our family went to a funeral for Natalie's grandma, Grandma Betty. And she lived a long and fruitful life. And so it was a service that felt more like a celebration of life compared to a funeral, if that kind of makes sense for you. And since it was Natalie's grandma, she got the opportunity to sing at the funeral. But along with the song, she prepared just a short story to share about her grandma. And it was, it was a story about what had happened with our family at grandma's bedside just a couple of months before she passed. Natalie and I and our three kids, we went to visit Grandma Betty and we sat at her bedside and she started telling us a story about how she was living her last few months and her last few weeks on earth. And she pulled out a list and the list was full of names and causes and people and situations that were important to her. And she said, I spend every day praying through this list. It was children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It was her home church, different causes that she had supported over the years. And she just worked her way through the list every single day. And she said, you know, sometimes I'm too tired. I can't make it through all the lists, but I wake up the next morning and I pull out the list again and I start over. Again and again and again. She would fall asleep praying for her loved ones, living a life of significance even with her last few months. And it was a beautiful moment when Natalie shared that story at the funeral, but of course, that wasn't the only story. There were many stories that were shared that day. Her pastor shared stories of her raising money for church projects and teaching kids in kids' ministry for decades, literally impacting generations of believers and families. She served on leadership teams at her local church, and story after story after story, you began to realize this is how this woman was going to be remembered. It's how she had lived a life of significance. And when you think about that story, and you think about Romans 16 and our time here together, we've really been given a gift with this passage. We've really been given a gift with this passage because most often, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we don't think about how we want to be remembered all the time. It's in these heightened moments, like at a celebration of life or a funeral service, that, that kind of the alarms go off in our mind and we begin to ask some of these sobering questions. But Romans 16 is allowing us to ask this question today. What defines a significant life and how can I become more like the person that I've always aimed to be? I'm not going to be perfect. I made mistake after mistake after mistake in the last month, in the last week, in the last day. But how can I become more like the person that God's always called me to be? And I know we're in a room filled with different ages. And there are people tuning in online with all kinds of different ages. And for those of you that are in the, in the latter third part of your life, like you might have these conversations with yourself or with your loved ones more frequently. But if you're like sitting at age 30 and under, when's the last time you thought about how you want to be remembered? Like, it's just not a natural thought, but I'm encouraging you, according to the scripture, ask this question today. How do I want to be remembered and where do I need God's help to build this kind of life? It starts with Jesus and it's strengthened by friendship. The richness of your life depends on the God you serve and the people who surround you. So let me close with just one last word of encouragement for our church. 
This is something that I feel like the Lord laid on my heart that he wants me to share with the whole church, but it's going to specifically apply to some of us in this room. It's a biblical truth when it comes to your life with God. It's a biblical truth when it comes to your life with others. And I believe that this is what God wants to say to some of you right now. He would want to say that it's never too late. That it's never too late. While I've been preaching, some of you have been arguing with me in your own head. And these arguments have sounded as something a little bit like, well, I can't live a life of significance anymore. I've messed up too much. I can't live a life of significance anymore. I, I've screwed up too much. I've, I've hurt myself. I've hurt others. I've, I've done irreparable damage and, and people don't talk to me. They've rejected me and God doesn't talk to me. He's rejected me too. I would never make their list of names and I'll never make God's list of names. But I'm telling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ says to you this morning that it's never too late. It's never too late because you can't out-sin, out-run, or out-maneuver God's love. It's never too late to give your life to Christ and be completely forgiven. And it's never too late because God's love is way more powerful, infinitely more powerful than your mistakes. When Jesus suffered on the cross, he suffered for you. In his final breath, he said, it is finished. His death to wipe away your sin, his resurrection to promise you eternal life. His completed work on the cross means that you can experience his love and forgiveness and purpose starting today and forevermore. It's never too late to start a relationship with Jesus. And it's never too late to build a life of significance. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That if with a humble heart you'll run to him, and confess your need. He is faithful to forgive, faithful to love, and faithful to accept you. Pray with me.